We are in the book of John today, and this is one of those struggles I, I get with some books whenever we're flying through the scriptures as we have been and doing one book a week. It can be hard because John is my favorite gospel by far and perhaps my favorite book, although Hebrews and Romans have, would give it a good run for its money. Romans is another one where how you do that one in 30 minutes. Well, here's the good news. Once we go all the way through, and we started at Genesis, appropriately enough, we'll end at Revelation, but we're not done then. We do get to go back and have a look at the stories and the bits that we missed. But this morning, the book of John, and by the way, uh, speaking of stories of Jesus, starting this Wednesday, and you saw in your e-blast this last time, and I believe it's probably in the bulletin as well, uh, we heard that some of you that were bringing teens or had other activities on Wednesday would like to have had a class, something to do during that period of time, so you're not roaming the streets and getting into trouble. So I'm going to start teaching upstairs on Wednesday night during that time period, a class called Just Jesus Stories, and I'd rather that I not teach it as much as we talk about a story, and we unfold it, we unpack it, and we, we really get into the depths of the Just, Just Jesus Stories, Helping me on this will be a couple of our other men, especially since September and October, I'm on the road so much. Those are my two busy months. Uh, they're, they're the months that, are, that look like what all my months used to look like before I moved here, and I, I stripped out a lot of the travel. So those, those other men are going to help lead as well. Women, we would love to have you step up and help us as we just unpack stories of Jesus in a non-structured way. That's starting this Wednesday night. Now... John, let me take you back to a very dark time in the history of Israel. There was an evil king, Antiochus IV, better known to historians as Antiochus Epiphanes. He wanted to exterminate the religion of Jehovah. He wanted God gone. By his decree, his soldiers entered the temple and placed pagan symbols on the altar and all around the area, Greek gods everywhere. He vandalized the temple. He vandalized the furniture of the temple so that the people could no longer worship in the way de decreed by Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Pagan priests were brought in to substitute for the Jewish priest. They conducted their worship in God's house so that the, the name of God and the religion of God would forever be gone from Israel. It was a very very dark time, until one man stood up, a man named Judas Maccabee. And it's overstating it to say just one man because he came from a family, and the family certainly backed him up in every way. He knew the odds against him were incredibly long. What's one Jewish man, what's one Jewish family for that sense, uh, against the might of Antiochus Epiphanes, the greatest ruler of the day? But he raised an army anyway. The army was dedicated to one thing, the restoration of the worship of the one true God of Israel. The army took his last name as their name, their unit name, Maccabees, which meant hammers. They were the hammers. In a story that deserves a much longer telling than I can do it this morning, the Maccabees drove out the pagan priest. They cleared 
central Jerusalem, although they were not able to clear a couple of the towers. They cleared central Jerusalem and they took it back. They immediately went to work scrubbing out all signs of pagan gods, restoring the furniture that was dedicated to Jehovah and getting the priest ready to rededicate the temple. And that's when they ran across a serious problem. They only found enough of the sacred oil that would burn for one day. But the rule, the law of God was very plain. Whenever you rededicate the temple, the lights have to burn for eight days. They argued, they prayed, they fasted, and they decided they're going to light it anyway and let God know we've done everything we could with what we had. We didn't have any more. We're giving it to you. The lights burned, and they continued to burn for eight days. Today, the Jews celebrate that Feast of Lights. We generally call it Hanukkah. The Feast of Lights, the dedication. In fact, the word means rededication. And I bring that up because one of the opening scenes I want to bring to you talks about light. Light in a very dark time. We saw with the book of Mark that Jesus is more complex than people would like to paint him. There are many that would like to paint Jesus as a soft-spoken teacher of goodness and sweetness and nothing more. But Jesus is not like that. Jesus is not easy sometimes. He chose the time of the Feast of Lights to enter the temple and make an announcement. Look at John chapter 7. Verses 1 through 5. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. It's a difficult time. Since the Jewish festivals of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing all these things, show yourself to the world for even his own brothers did not believe in him. In other words, you're to read those verses sarcastically because his brothers did not believe he was important. And they're saying, if you're so important, we dare you enter the temple during a holy feast of lights and declare yourself there. Jesus didn't have the backup of his family. They taunted him. So Jesus entered the crowds around the temple and he listened to what people were saying about him. He would hear people ask, what do you think of the Christ? Halfway through the Feast of Lights, at its peak, Jesus walked into the temple area and began to teach. The scriptures and early historians tell us that people were astonished at his authority and his knowledge. He didn't back down. In fact, his brothers were there too and were embarrassed that Jesus would do such a thing, step up and speak as if he had some kind of authority. When he was no Levite, he was no royal person in their eyes. He was a deluded person in their eyes. The rest of the family was there, including his mother. That becomes very important for the rest of the story. You see, Jesus' parentage would become a focus point for this story. Look at chapter 7, verses 25 through 29. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly. 
and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? Read that sarcastically too. We know where this man's from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You don't know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. Can you imagine the courage that took to stand in the middle of the most fiercely monotheistic society that had ever existed on the planet and say, you think you know who I'm from, but I came from God and I'm speaking to you by his authority. This is no wimp. This is no shining nightlight. Temple guards, you read the story, temple guards were like the Green Berets of their time. They were the toughest of the tough. And they were sent to arrest Jesus. They were told, remove him from the temple. By the way, they did stuff like that all the time. They're used to it. They were brilliant at this. And yet, they returned without him. They were Levites. And they said, we know the law. And we're impressed by him. What he has to say is true. And what he says, he says with such authority. Well, the Pharisees rebuked them, saying, well, you're, you're just deluded. You're deceived. No leader of the Jews believes Jesus, so you shouldn't believe them. In other words, listen to your betters. Oh, people love that, don't they? Listen to your politicians. They know better. Just trust them. They know better. Listen to your leaders. They know better. Listen. And Jesus instead goes right to the people, and he says, you listen directly to God from now on. He's your leader. He's your king this disdain for the common people and the assurance that those in the know know better is shot down by the statement of Nicodemus in John chapter 7. I didn't have, ask to have that one put up. In 7 chapter 50, uh, they, I'll go ahead and read it since I didn't ask for it to go up. It go, and I went to Luke. That's why it didn't look right. Hang on. We're in John, aren't we? This is short attention span theater. Hope you're enjoying the show. Um, John chapter 7, verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you'll find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. In other words, we know better. I don't care what the law is. We know what we're doing, and you're supposed to trust us. That's the political situation, and that's the religious situation into which Jesus walked. It's amazing, isn't it? By the way, why do they keep saying he's from Galilee? Well, and I have to take this on scholars because I, I don't know this personally, but I've talked to several scholars who say as soon as any of Jesus' apostles began to speak, you notice how people will say, aren't these ignorant and unlearned men? How did they learn all this stuff? And the reason was people from Jesus' region, Nazareth and Galilee, had an accent that was a hick accent for the time. And they were considered ignorant, stupid, unteachable. And that's what Jesus sounded like. It's rather Jeff Foxworthy does a whole thing on that sometimes, talking about how when you hear a southern accent, people in the north deduct 20 IQ points. 
And he says, when they get to heaven, they're going to really get it. If St. Peter says, y'all, come on, get in the big truck, we're going, yeah. <laughs> Well, if I get up to heaven and Jesus sounds like Lydia, I'm going to have to apologize because <laughs> I, have, I have teased that woman. Well, I, I don't understand her, but I still tease her. Patrick. Anyway. Um, and so they, they had a prejudice toward that region. They said, nobody smart can come out of there. And then they publicly mocked Jesus in chapter 8, verse 19, by saying, where's your father? Remember, Mary's there. Joseph isn't. I don't know if he's dead. I don't know if he's deserted them. I don't know. What I do know is that nobody believed her story. Everybody believed she was a fallen woman that had slept with somebody outside of marriage, should have been stoned to death, and here's the illegitimate child speaking in the temple. And so they taunt him. They say, where's your father? They won't let it go. Chapter 8, verse 39. They say, Abraham's our father. Who's yours? Jesus says, your father's not Abraham. Your father's a spirit of rebellion, of arrogance. They say, we are not illegitimate children. Jesus is being insulted, taunted, and shamed in public, except Jesus isn't interested in this. You see, are they of the bloodline of Abraham? Yes, but Jesus said, you're not children of Abraham, because listen to this. In God's family, you are not known by your race. You are not known by your mom and dad. You are not known by your lineage. You're known by your behavior, by your character, and by the way you live for him. That's all that matters. Was they peck, poke, and prod Jesus, taunting him about who he is and his lack of standing in the world and in their society. Jesus says this in John chapter 8 and verse 12. Jesus spoke again to the people. He said, I'm the light of the world. I'm, whoa, do you remember where we are? We're in the temple during the feast of lights. And he says, I'm the light. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know what amazes me? When I hear people say, you know, Jesus never really said he was the Christ. He actually did, remember? He, he said that to the Samaritan woman and like, but how else could you say it other than saying, you're, you're having a feast of lights here? I'm that light. Could he be plainer? Well, what about John's introduction to the book of John? Let's go look at that in John chapter 1. Verses 4 through 13. In him was life. And that life was, there it is, the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It has not yet overcome it, brothers and sisters, and it will not. The light will be shining when Jesus returns. The only question will be, will you be part of the shining, or will you have joined the darkness? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that all through him might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now you understand what these words mean. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now do you get what was going on in chapter 7 and chapter 8? You really don't get it unless you know about the Feast of Lights and you go back to chapter 1 and you read the setup once again. The problem was people had become accustomed to the darkness. They liked the darkness. Have you ever entered a dark room and stumbled around? I did that all the time. And I've probably told this story before, but I don't remember it because I'm old. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm circling the drain a wee bit, but I can, uh, and I can hear God jiggling the handle. So it's only a matter of time. But when we were first married, kids, hard to understand this, you normally only had one phone in a, in, a, in a home. And that phone was tied to the wall. So you couldn't even walk around with it. It had a cord on it. But the cord, it didn't matter how long the cord was, it was going to be snagged within 15 seconds. So you were right up against it, and you had to run to the, and people ran to the phone. There was no caller ID or the like, and you actually enjoyed getting a call. It was like, ooh, I, my existence has been acknowledged. And you would run, and you'd get it, and you, you know, you'd race each other for it. It was a great time in, in history. No, it wasn't. It was horrid. Anyway... And we were first married, and I was doing hospital work and alike, and, and, you know, doing the psych wards. And so phone calls came at all times of the day and night. And my wife, God bless her, budding interior designer, uh, this is her first place. She liked to rearrange the furniture. Now, here's a problem. It's dark. The phone rings 2 in the morning. I don't know where the furniture is. And I, I had all kinds of difficulties and wounds, but I didn't want to upset her because she's cute. So I decided to do something very subtle, very subtle. I think you'll agree this was subtle. I knew she was in, in the bedroom and she was going to be heading toward the kitchen. And to do that, she had to go down the hallway past the, the bathroom. So I went into the bathroom, left the door open, got down on my knees in front of the toilet, like this, just waited. She came by, I heard her steps stop. After a few moments, she said, Patrick, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just thanking the good Lord this thing's nailed down. Now, see, subtle. <laughs> subtle, subtle, yes, yes, I thought so. There are... We get used to the darkness, but darkness is not good for us. We need light. And Jesus says, you've gotten too used to your darkness. And now that light's here, you blink. You shy away. You, uh, you, don't, you don't want that anymore. I have a mother-in-law who believes I need 1,500 watts to read by. If she sees me sitting reading comfortably... She will ask, don't you need more light? I will say, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Click. <laughs> and I don't see anything for a while. <laughs> a couple of times I've even looked up and said, yes, Lord. <laughs> but we're used to our lightness, our darkness. In fact, I want you to think about a word we use. We pay people to play ball. 
and make them amazingly rich. We pay people to pretend they're other people in movies and on television, and we make them rich. And what do we call these people? We call them stars, lights in the darkness, people who play or people who pretend. And when we look at their lives, we see them hop from one bed to another, from one political hobby to another, from one absurdity to another, but we print magazines and news all about them because there are lights. When you're in the dark, you can't recognize that's not an appropriate light. I was on the airplane uh, several months back, looked across from me, and there was a woman reading Soap Opera Digest. Now, I want you to think about this. She paid money to buy a magazine to read gossip about people who don't exist. <laughs> we are far too comfortable with our darkness. You could take any of the top 100 stars in Hollywood or sports and show them my life, and they wouldn't want it. They'd say, it's boring, it's not fun, it's not fulfilling and meaningful, yet I don't go through my day full of fear and anger. I have a wife who I adore, children who are the light of my life, grandchildren that are perfect. Sorry about yours. I have a church that's a dream church. I have a daily walk with God that brings greater peace than any of those stars could imagine. And I didn't have to work for that. It was given to me by Jesus Christ. And it was given to you. I live in the light. I never fear getting a sexually transmitted disease. My wife is in Traverse City, will we'll be in Traverse City, Michigan later uh, today for a few days to do a design consult there. And I know she will be among incredibly rich people doing that, but I don't worry about my wife. Will she become discontent with our life? Will she find another guy? No. Why? Because she's in the light. She walks in the light. And the light has given us life. I also know something else. Jesus told the Pharisees where he was going, but he told them they couldn't come. Have you ever noticed that contrast? Look at John 7, 32 and 33. The Pharisees heard the, the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priest and the, and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm only with you. I'm with you for only a short time. Then I'm going to the one who sent me. Did you notice something? He didn't invite them. They don't get a go. But then look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Talking to the believers, do not let your hearts be troubled, brothers and sisters. That's today too. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am and you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I find that contrast amazing. One group, the religiously arrogant and legalistic and smug, had grown accustomed to darkness. They liked it there. They defined fun and faithfulness according to their own terms, referencing their own lives and wishes and what they could see and assuming God approved of it. What they couldn't imagine, what they couldn't believe, was standing right in front of them. Light, forgiveness, purpose, love, grace, peace, joy, community, faithful friends, all would be lost to them because they refused to look at the light. When we see the world in the light of Jesus, it's a lot harder to fool us. Remember being in university and my roommates were um, taunted me a bit, saying, Mead, you don't know what it's like to have fun. I said, well, let's review. Do you have any money? They said, no. I said, why? Well, they, they spent it at the pub. Fair enough. How's your head? Shh. Huh. Why is that? Because we, we drank an awful lot. You paid for it, but you didn't get to keep it. You don't. And it left you with a headache that you can't afford to buy, uh, we don't call it Tylenol, we call it paracetamol. You, 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 you couldn't afford that. Where's your car? Because I already heard the story. They're going, well, you know, we can't remember where we parked it. Uh-huh. Is your girlfriend talking to you today? No, I don't know what we said or did. I can't remember. If that's fun, I'm not having it. I'm not interested. Christ was not a wimp. Neither are Christians. Christ stood his ground in hostile territory with such strength that even the temple guards refused to arrest them. And there, right there, he declared to those in the, in the world who he was and why he was here. Look again, John chapter 8. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Our father, again, they're going at him with his illegitimacy. Our father Abraham, he died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. Whoa, Jesus, you're not being very Christian. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. In other words, he's still alive and he's watching. They say to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. What is the name of God? I am. Jesus declares who he is. And by the way, in the story of John, the next person Jesus meets is a blind man. John chapter 9. And what does Jesus do to him? Gives him light. Now, do you understand how to read the book of John? That's what it's about. The Pharisees, by the way, were, in, were furious that Jesus would, would heal a blind guy. 
So let's take those last two passages. They hurled insults at him. This is the blind guy that can now see. Because they're saying, you, were, you must have been faking it all your life. You're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from once again. His daddy is unknowable, they're saying. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Hey, people, when, you're, when you meet Jesus, you learn how to stand up. And you don't back off. Have you ever noticed about the armor of God? There's a piece missing. There's no place, no piece covering the back. The Romans were the ones who started that. In some of their units, they removed the back piece because they said, if you turn your back to the battle, we want you to die. And when God did the armor of God, there's no back piece. We don't turn around. We don't back up. Because he didn't. Then take a look at verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. When he found him, he said, they threw him out of church. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man said, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see that light again, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You see, the world stands judged. Mark, we're about to get going here. And I forgot to ask you, are you on your own? That makes it easier. Okay. I'm supposed to give him several minutes if, it's, if he's got his team. The world stands judged. It's in darkness because it likes it there. It only wants the dim light of so-called stars to worship. But Jesus has come, regardless of our insults, to be the light of the world. And it might hurt at first to step into the light, but there is no other way to end up where Jesus is than to enter the light. In a moment, we're going to stand and sing a song. Then we're going to ask you to be seated again while we're given instructions about how we're going to go up and pray. If you don't know about this, here's what we're doing. Working with these gentlemen and women in law enforcement this weekend, just drove it home again. I had two of them, I think three, but I'm trying to remember who the third one was, tell me that they were about to quit because every day as they put on the uniform, they wonder if that's their last day now. And we had to take moments of silence for 9-11, but also for officers who had fallen among them in recent weeks. We as a church, we're not political. We're not Republican or Democrat. We refuse to enter those kind of discussions. But what we are is we are people who love all that Jesus made. And that includes those who put their life on the line. So in a little bit, the Simmons will give us instructions on how we're going to do it, walk or ride, and we're going to go up and pray in front of the police station. Now, don't expect the police to come out. It's Sunday. They're, the ones that are on duty are probably busy. 
We're just there to pray and talk to God. And we just want them to know we were there. By the way, they do know we're coming. (laughs) That's kind of important. (laughs) But I want to challenge anybody here who has not yet put on Jesus in baptism. Don't get comfortable in the dark. You need to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to enter the light because Jesus has prepared a place, but he's the only way there, and he is the light. Let's stand and sing.